You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Experts say the odds of a rescue go up when the sun is out, and crews definitely saw a spike in calls this long weekend. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Search and rescue and first responders kept busy as British Columbians headed out to enjoy the great outdoors. That's right. Ted Chernecki has more on the troubles encountered this holiday long weekend and the advice from the experts. Three North Shore rescues in a single day. When the weather's this nice and on a long weekend, the local mountains can be deceptively luring. All the local hills are packed, and not surprising, some of these fun seekers will end up in trouble. It's just a difficult uh, situation with the, these icy uh, times. There has been no new snow for a long time. It's very, very icy out there. Be traveling with microspikes or crampons, really, if you're in any kind of exposed area. On Cyprus, a snowshoer lost his footing near the Bowen Outlook and was injured, having to be long-line airlifted to a waiting ambulance. Some snowshoers underestimated the impact of these past cold nights. It's sunny and beautiful, but it's cold, and that makes it icy, and that makes it extremely dangerous. You know, trails that you may have hiked before and have been, you know, very safe. Uh, in today's conditions, with the ice, it's very, very dangerous. At about the same time, another call on Seymour Mountain, where a hiker also discovered the hard way, just how icy conditions were. As long as this weather holds uh, like it is, that uh, conditions out in the snow are very icy, very hard, and be prepared. Another snowshore had to be rescued on Hollyburn Ridge back on Cyprus. And there were early reports of a couple of hikers lost in the Lynn Valley Headwaters region. And North Shore Rescue did, in fact, respond for a fourth call. But fortunately, they were stood down as the hikers were located. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And in Whistler, a snowmobiler died when he stopped on a cornice and it collapsed. It happened in the Callahan Valley on Saturday. The victim, identified as a 52-year-old Nanaimo man, fell approximately 250 feet and was partially buried. Other snowmobilers dug him out and began CPR, but sadly he died at the scene. Now, after a beautiful blue sky day today, we could be in for snow on the south coast tomorrow, and quite a bit of it. Meteorologist Christy Gordon is here with the details. Christy? Yeah, so if you thought winter was over, well, you were definitely wrong. Now, there is some uncertainty with this forecast, so you need to tune in tomorrow for updates. By this point, it looks like the system will push in between about 4 and 6 p.m. tomorrow, right during the evening commute. Now, initially, only higher elevations will see snow, like the North Shore, but other areas will see rain or a mix of rain and snow, except for the central and east Fraser Valley. It will begin as snow for your region, and then quickly through the evening hours, it will transition to snow across all areas. And by morning, this is how much snowfall you could see across the area. We could see anywhere between 5 to 15 centimeters of snow. And then after that, cold and dry. Looks like the kids can get out there and play. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Christy. Well, weather and road conditions are believed to be a factor in a fatal crash on the Coquihalla Highway over the weekend. We now know that the man who was killed had stopped to help the victims of the initial crash when he was fatally struck. The tragedy renewing concerns about safety and maintenance on the notorious highway. Aaron MacArthur reports. Bare and dry everywhere on the Coquihalla, it seems, except right here. Monday morning, half a dozen or more cars spun out near Larson Hill. We just ended up hitting the, the barricade here, so we're fine. But um, it was just car after car. Yeah, there was only a couple of vehicles here when I got here, but by the time I got stopped, there was four or five banged up. 
So what was the total? From what I can tell, I think there was eight vehicles involved. If this looks familiar, it's because it happened in the exact same spot yesterday. Six cars piled up, killing a man. According to the mayor of Merritt, the highway is in bad shape too often. He puts the blame on the contractor. We don't think they're getting the highways ready prior to a storm. We don't think they're, they're doing, living up to their contract as far as maintaining it during a storm. The workers are doing a great job. They're doing what they're told to do. Uh, but the highway companies themselves aren't living up to their contracts. From dash cams, it's easy to see the dangers. Drivers forced to quickly correct or pay the price. The highway dotted with cars on their roofs. The contractor, VSA, didn't respond to our request for an interview today. But the Ministry of Transportation spoke on CKNW this morning, saying VSA is meeting the government's expectations. Well, during winter storms, especially on the Coquihalla, we actually have staff out often 24-7 during the storms monitoring the contractor to make sure that they're meeting the specifications. According to many, the issue comes down to speed and road conditions. Many people wondering why more isn't being done to actively manage the variable speed signs on the highway. In the meantime, with more weather on the way, expect slow and steady to be the best way to get to the interior. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An arrest in connection with a break-and-enter in Surrey helped RCMP recover firearms and several thousand dollars worth of stolen property. Mounties received information that some of the stolen property was located at a store in Langley, while other items were tracked to an Abbotsford address. There, they found six firearms, suspected illicit drugs and scales, and some stolen electronics. Four of the firearms are believed to have been stolen from other break-and-enters throughout the Lower Mainland. 46-year-old Richard Thompson is facing several charges. Now back to the family day long weekend. And while there were some problems, as we mentioned, the vast majority of British Columbians have been enjoying the extra day off. Jeff Hastings has more on where lines were long and why there's a divide on moving the holiday starting next year. Laced up, Margaret takes her first steps on skates on one of BC's first family days. A holiday still in its infancy, we haven't had it long, but the day off is a hit. Oh, it's a great day today, yeah, and weather good, some kids happy, and we are happy too. It's good to get the family out and spend it together. Loads of fun in Lower Lonsdale, the sunshine and needed bonus on a popular day off that people are still getting used to. But it will be more than a year, 53 weeks until the next one. After some political maneuvering, BC's Family Day has been bumped back to line up with the rest of Canada. Toppling well-laid plans for a ski tourism bonanza. Mountains like Grouse lose a holiday weekend, and it's not sitting well. With the Family Day being on a separate weekend from the rest of Canada, it was able to, uh, it was maybe not as busy a weekend for uh, BC residents to come up and enjoy the mountains and get out and get on the slopes. So we're a little bit disappointed with the shift, but from our Gross Mountain perspective, we're, we're happy to have people up whenever they want to come visit. Lineups like this at crowded ski hills are feared to only get longer when the entire country is on the same schedule. For vacationers, it's not very good. For businesses, it aligns more with business schedules, so it's uh, what's the priority, right? But if you're staying below the snow line, there hasn't been much other complaint, mainly appreciation of a tradition we're only starting to establish. It doesn't matter when, but they, we have the opportunity to enjoy with the family. Jeff Hastings, Global News. 
Part of your long weekend enjoyment may include a beverage or two. And following Alberta's boycott of B.C. wine over the pipeline spat, our province is encouraging British Columbians to drink locally. John Waugh has more on the campaign and reaction. It's a boycott that has plenty of British Columbians seeing red. It's sad what Alberta is doing because B.C. does have some amazing wines. The industry caught in the middle of a provincial trade war, all because of contrasting positions on the Kinder Morgan pipeline. People will say, oh, wine's not connected uh, to oil. The key uh, principles that we are working with is to do the least amount of damage to the Alberta economy. And with Alberta's premier making no mention of putting the BC wine ban back in the box. If they didn't get it a week ago, I certainly hope that they get it now. Wine lovers here using the province's family day to make a statement with every sip. Yeah, definitely make a statement. We weren't doing anything else but going to visit a BC winery today. The BC government opting not to retaliate, instead taking out this full-page ad. Wineries, farmers, winemakers really don't have a dog in this fight. You know, we're, we're making a product, we're small businesses, and uh, politics aside, it's really nothing to do with us. It seems to be a message with Mother Nature on its side. A beautiful, sunny, long weekend, just the boost wineries needed people that produce BC wines and are shipping them, that's their livelihood. And they really shouldn't be using them as the pawns. Right now it is important to support the local industry. According to staff, there may have even been a few Albertans not getting the memo about their favourite Merlot. We do get a lot of travellers coming through and uh, to hear people from Alberta are on our side too, well that's extremely gratifying. While the battle between the two provinces is far from over, there are plenty of BC wine supporters who are happy to put their money where their mouth is. John Hua, Global News. And one more note from Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. Today she spoke, and when asked about her actions, given her comments about not wanting to start a trade war, well, she didn't exactly back down. All I will say is there are other tools that we have at our disposal that uh, will uh, turn the temperature up and the volume up even more than we already have, and we will reserve our right to, uh, to roll those out uh, in the most strategic uh, timing possible. More than two dozen view corridors have been protected in the city of Vancouver since the 1980s. But tonight, there are growing concerns we're at risk of losing the iconic vistas that make the city so spectacular. Tanya Beja is live with more on this. Tanya, what's behind the fear that the Canby View Corridor could be the first to disappear? Well, Sophie, the city is looking to develop northeast False Creek, and if the plan is approved... Three tall towers will forever change this skyline. The views are postcard perfect, but Vancouver's mountain backdrop may soon be partially obscured. Essentially, you're privatizing our mountain backdrop um, for uh, these multi-million condos that nobody can even afford. City Council is voting Tuesday on a plan for Northeast Falls Creek that would include a park, cultural centre and condo developments to house up to 12,000 people. But three of the proposed towers would pierce protected skyline, blocking mountain views. The sight lines are really important and uh, I think it's, it's important that we preserve the beauty of the city. It's pretty spectacular and I wouldn't really want to see anything go up in the way of it, I don't think. Well, the view is gorgeous, right? Yeah, we, we don't want it to block... Uh 
Yeah, it's just for the profit of the developer. Vancouver developed a policy in the 1980s to protect 27 of the city's view cones. The Canby Corridor is one of them. Why we wanted to promote density, we also wanted to ensure that there were these view cones that people could see down from the city uh, if you're walking, biking, or uh, sitting down, I think it's one of the most important things the city of Vancouver has ever produced. Community advocates are fighting to save the views, worried the impact of the plan will be irreversible. This might set bad precedents for other real estate developers to build through our public views, and soon we might not even have our mountain backdrop anymore. All right, Tanya, you reached out to the city for comment on this story. What have they told you about the plan? Well, they weren't available to comment today, unfortunately, Sophie, but a staff report on this plan recommends that council approve it. It says that the three towers at the corner of Georgia and Pacific will offer an exceptional architectural presence in the skyline. Sophie and Chris, back to you. But first, another unhappy consumer tonight who came to Consumer Matters with a problem she couldn't solve. Taking on a big corporation is never easy, and Andrew is here with a frustrating story of fraudulent credit card use. Yeah, just another reminder to check your statements as well. Thanks, you too. A BC woman who upgraded to a PC World Elite MasterCard is sharing her frustration tonight after fraudulent charges ended up on her new cards. What's worse, perhaps, is the length of time she says it took to have those charges reversed. You just have to wait for them to make a decision, which they were taking their time doing. In September 2017, at the Real Canadian Superstore in Campbell River, Lois Scott says a rep convinced her and her husband to upgrade to a PC World Elite MasterCard to obtain more points. Lois was the primary cardholder of their regular PC MasterCard, so the rep, Lois says, signed up her husband as a primary for the new Elite card. On September 22, 2017, Lois says she got an email stating the new cards were on their way. They said they were in the mail, and we waited and waited and waited. Now October, Lois says she reached out repeatedly to PC MasterCard to find out the status of the cards. Finally, I got a hold of a lady that told us our cards were activated one week after they were supposed to be delivered to us. Uh, $2,800 was charged in LaSalle, Quebec, which is thousands of miles away from Campbell River. Immediately, Lois says she filled out a fraud report and faxed it back to PC MasterCard on November 10th, 2017. The fraudulent charges, Lois says, were reversed, but not the interest charges. She says she had to call again to get those charges reversed. But then another setback. Lois says she received a shocking letter from PC Financial MasterCard stating... After a thorough review, the President's Choice Financial MasterCard Fraud Investigation Department has determined that the transaction claimed as fraudulent listed below were made by either you, your authorized cardholder, or other persons known to you, and or you have failed to cooperate with the investigation. The 2,800 in fraudulent charges also reappeared on their next bill. I called them again and they said I needed a police report. Lois says she got a police report number and called PC MasterCard back on December 7th, 2017. She says she called repeatedly between December 19th and January 8th to follow up, but says she wasn't getting any answers. With frustration mounting, Lois contacted Consumer Matters for help. On January 9th, I got a hold of Andrea. She answered within one hour by email. January 11th, they phoned me at 
8 o'clock in the morning to say the problem was resolved. They, meaning PC Financial. The company told Consumer Matters a resolution was well underway before Global News got involved. When we asked how the charges ended up on the Scots account and how the situation was resolved, PC Financial issued a statement. Alleged fraud investigations are unique to each case and take time to examine. For security reasons, we are unable to reference the specifics of this situation. But I can tell you that the lack of police report was largely causing the delay in processing. As a reminder, this was resolved to the customer's satisfaction. Thank you very much, Andrew and Kristen Robinson. And Kristen Robinson is the producer of Consumer Matters. Just to add, Lois says she was also given a $100 worth of points as part of the resolution. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. There's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Great stuff. Another satisfied customer. Thanks very much, Jan. It's been a golden Monday for Canadian athletes in Pyeongchang. Athletes at the top of their game landing at the top of the podium in two events. Global's Megan Robinson reports. We all want to taste the real goal. <laughs> the winning is skier in Mogul's history, adding the biggest accomplishment yet to his resume. Quebec's Mikhail Kingsbury, now an Olympic champion. Four years after silver in Sochi, the gold should come as no surprise. At just 25 years old, Kingsbury cementing himself in the record books. He's the reigning World Cup champion in freestyle skiing with six straight Crystal Globe victories and 48 World Cup titles. The Canada's first golden moment in Pyeongchang came at the figure skating team event. Beautifully done. Ontario's Gabby Daleman and Patrick Chan securing gold for Canada well before Tessa Virtue and Scott Moyer even hit the ice. It's kind of the last piece I was missing in, in, on the list of, of titles. To win gold with such amazing skaters who I've idolized my entire life is the biggest dream come true. Meanwhile, controversy on the slopes Monday with dangerous wind conditions forcing the cancellation of qualifications in the women's slope style. And despite some athletes questioning the safety of the course, officials decided to go ahead with the event. The wind reportedly over 30 kilometers per hour. Three Canadians among the competitors, most unable to land jumps, crashing hard and often. But Olympic rookie Lori Bluang taking home silver days after being hospitalized after a fall in practice, conquering the wind, sporting a black eye. Canada's Max Perot says the wind has definitely been a challenge. Many other riders uh, were having trouble with the wind as well. Uh, sometimes it was front wind, sometimes it was back wind, and people were just going very deep. Canada is also guaranteed a medal in the debut of mixed doubles curling, but what color? We'll find out when Caitlin Laws and John Morris play Switzerland in the final Tuesday in Pyeongchang. Megan Robinson, Global News. Give Canada two gold medals, four silver and one bronze for seven medals in total. And that puts Canada in fourth place in the international medal count. Norway in first place, Germany in second, the Netherlands in third. The mayor of Calgary has spent the past week in Pyeongchang exploring the possibility of his city hosting the 2026 Winter Games with some help from B.C. Nahed Nenshi met with IOC officials and says they've told him they want to reform their bidding process. Nenshi says his experience in Pyeongchang has answered one big question. Could Calgary actually host the Games? The answer is yes, yes, yes. We absolutely have the ability to do it. But the second, perhaps more important question is, should we? And should we now? Well, Calgary City Council has to make a decision before the end of June on whether it will bid on a games that could cost 
$4.6 billion. The city has already talked about co-hosting the 2026 Games with Whistler. Over the ferry terminal on this last day, family day weekend here, and it's not too bad, not as bad as the borders anyways. Tawasson to Swartz Bay, 7 o'clock sailing is at three-quarters capacity. The 7.15 from Tawasson to Southern Gulf Islands has been cancelled, and the 9.05 is just 10% full. Tawasson to Duke Point, the next available sailing at 8.15 is at half capacity. The Lotto 649 Superdraw is back on February 14th. There will be 15 prizes guaranteed to be won, plus the jackpot. Don't miss it. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Fer- Twasson Ferry Terminal. Officials in China are looking into what caused this frightening scene over the weekend. A truck carrying liquid natural gas exploded, leaving a long swath of a busy highway in flames. Miraculously, only two people were hurt and taken to hospital. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Meantime, investigators are trying to figure out what caused a huge explosion and fire in Mississauga, Ontario. At least five people were injured, one seriously, when the blast destroyed businesses and displaced neighbors. All your future, all your business, everything went down, you know. Yaha Solomon has run Faith Immigration Services with his wife Gina out of this Mississauga building for the last year. This is my office now. And can't believe this is all that's left after an explosion early Sunday morning. It's a sad situation to see your business fire in front of you and collapse in front of you. Oh my gosh. So you see something of yours? Yeah, this one. Among the rubble, a filing cabinet from his office. And even more shocking, this bed frame. The Solomons say belonged to a family of three who were in the structure at the time of the explosion. They woke up to a very loud, you know, big bang, like a bomb blast. And then there was another one and another one. Minutes later, the couple says the entire roof collapsed. A lot of things was filled down front of him. And he kept bushing. And I think I said injuring his head and his back, his, all his... Uh, Uh, He was without shoes, without phone. The blast also shut down a nearby high school for the day. If everything's okay inside damage-wise and it gets cleaned up, they may be able to open them up. Back at the site of the explosion, authorities say it will take much longer for these businesses and homes to recover. When those people will get back is still yet to be determined and we're we're working on uh, right now the plan on what that will look like. An undefined timeline that the Solomons say leaves their business in limbo. It's not easy. It's not easy to... Your, fit, your future destroy in front of you. But as they prepare to pick up the pieces, the pair says they're just thankful their friends were able to escape with their lives and that no one else was hurt. Jamie Morocco, Global News. New details have been released about the next royal wedding, showing that once again, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will break from tradition. After marrying at the 700-year-old St. George's Chapel, the newlyweds will take a long horse and carriage ride. They will travel along the town's main street and then down the so-called Long Walk before arriving back at Windsor Castle. That'll give thousands of spectators a chance to see them. But breaking with tradition, there will be no kiss on the balcony of Buckingham Palace. The newlyweds will be busy attending not one, but two receptions. Canyon, when it crashed late Saturday afternoon. 
an area so remote and rugged, the rescue mission took eight hours. Three tourists were killed. Becky Dobson and her boyfriend, Stuart Hill, were celebrating his 30th birthday, along with his brother, Jason. The tour company, Papillon, expressed condolences and is working with investigators. Papillon says it safely flies 600,000 tourists over the southwest each year. There was another deadly crash involving the company in 2001. Some aviation experts worry about the canyon tours. When you're talking about low-altitude flights or if there is a problem and the pilot must put the aircraft down, the canyon doesn't really lend itself to making an emergency landing. Tonight, flights in the area halted. The survivors seriously injured. Blake McCoy, NBC News. It's a rite of passage for American presidents, and it often generates controversy. Today, for Barack and Michelle Obama, it was no different. The former president and first lady unveiling their official portraits, painted by the first African Americans to do presidential portraits. Some are wondering about the meaning of all that greenery behind the president. Others complaining that the first lady's portrait doesn't really look like her. Both, however, say they are happy with the work, except for some tongue-in-cheek regrets from the president. I tried to negotiate less gray hair. I tried to negotiate smaller ears. Particularly girls and girls of color. And they will look up and they will see an image of someone who looks like them hanging on the wall. In health matters tonight, B.C.'s foreign caregivers are calling on the Trudeau government to institute a fair permanent residency policy. The caregivers are worried about an update to federal policy that won't allow them to be eligible for permanent residency if they haven't completed 24 months of work by November 29th of next year. They say even though the federal immigration minister is promising that Canada will always have a pathway to permanent residency for caregivers, they still feel uncertain about their future. Caregivers are not reassured that there will always be a pathway to PR because the current pathways were introduced under the Harper government in 2014 and they have had the result of drastically restricting the number of caregivers who could become permanent residents in our country. The West Coast Domestic Workers Association estimates there are 30,000 foreign caregivers in Canada. About 85% of them are from the Philippines. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The Pyeongchang Olympics have created a new and unlikely fan of one of Canada's most popular winter sports. That's right after Christie's forecast. I pity the fool who doesn't like curling. And that's not a hint at all. <laughs> yeah, not be. at all. Uh, okay, let's check in with Christy. A wide range of potential outcomes in yes. this big storm coming tomorrow. Let's hear more about it. As is always the case, we have a lot of uncertainty when it comes to snow here across the South Coast. But a beautiful uh, family day sunset. Oh, it's pretty dark there now. But it was. We had some nice colors in the sky. Uh, nice for everyone to be able to get out there in the sunshine today. But yes, we're talking about snowfall. Major system across the north. It is moving quite quickly, but there's a lot of moisture in here. So it's going to hit the north coast regions inland sections first. A good tw- 10 to 20 centimeters overnight down into the central interior, Caribou region, mainly to the eastern sections, 5 to 10. 
again overnight. And then by the latter part of the day tomorrow, it will shift to the south. The Columbia region, a good 10 centimeters possible, and it will push into the south coast regions as well. So we talked about the timing. Between about 4 and 6 p.m. is when we expect the system to push down to the south. A lot of areas it will start off as rain, and then we'll see a transition to snow into the evening hours as temperatures cool and the intensity starts to pick up. Uh, but again, it, there's a chance we could see it a little bit earlier, so keep tuning back in tomorrow uh, for updates. How much snowfall could we see by Wednesday morning? Zero to 15 centimeters of snow because there's still some uncertainty in this. Here's a look at some of the models. This one showing the Canadian model. Vancouver could see 15 centimeters of snow. Vancouver Island expecting far less. But another model, which is an American model, showing very little across Vancouver Island, only four centimeters for Metro Vancouver and Hope. So the Fraser Valley getting up to 15. So there's quite a variation in terms of how much snowfall, but we are expecting at least some. That's the main idea. Here's a look at northern regions. Coastal regions wet, inland regions snow, a lot of it beginning overnight and then continuing down across these areas by the afternoon. There's a risk of freezing rain in the Caribou and central interior regions. South coast mainly dry in the morning. Again, it develops through the late afternoon, evening hours, changes over to snow through the evening, late evening hours and continues as snow into the early morning Wednesday. After that, cold and dry both Wednesday and Thursday. So if we do see that snow, the kids will be able to get out and play. But of course, it could affect the commute on Wednesday morning. And then it looks like we have rain after that. I'll leave you with this great shot from Souk. Uh, Judith sent us this. She's 76 years old and she said she's proud of the kids over in Pyeongchang. Oh, what a great way to pay tribute to them. Yeah. Way to go, Judith. And thank you, Christy. Well, another Winter Olympics, another new fan of one of Canada's favorite winter sports. And the hint was correct. None other than Mr. T has discovered the joys of curling. He tweeted, I'm really pumped watching the Winter Olympics, watching events I never thought I would watch before, like curling. You heard me. Curling, fool. That's my best Mr. T. Well done. Well done. Oh, did you write this? I did not. Tim did. Tim wrote this one. He even did the little picture of uh, Mr. T curling in the background there. Oh, he probably was envisioning someone actually doing the Mr. T voice. And curling is kind of different, but it's exciting, Mr. T goes on to say. It's not as easy as it looks. It takes some skills, that's for sure. I like it. Of course, if Mr. T actually did curl, he'd probably throw the rocks over Might throw them overhand. That's yeah. right. Big tough guy. <laughs> Hey, a big weekend for Variety, the children's charity, and BC's special kids. Thank you so much to all the generous donors across the province. The 52nd annual Variety Show of Hearts Telethon raised $5.5 million for special needs children right across the province. This year's Telethon featured live musical performances along with stories of the incredible ways Variety helps BC families every single day. Love that segment with Sage, too, the little girl who gets extra physical therapy sessions and... The circus performers and the circus performances she got tickets for, I think it's going to be really bright in her life. Thank you to all for uh, donating and being generous year after year and once again this year.